1 John in the mornings, and then we choose a proverb corresponding to the morning sermon. So we had the end of 1 John chapter 2 and a little bit of the beginning of 1 John 3. And now we have before us Proverbs chapter 12, verses 23 to 28. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety and a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. this morning, I was drawn back to uh, Proverbs 12. Proverbs is a, a difficult book to, to just make, put into a cozy, neat outline. I mean, there's, there's usually a beginning and an end in the middle of most books that you can point to. Proverbs is somewhat more difficult <coughs> because we're told <coughs> that Solomon collects these and he puts them together and some of them are not written by him or attributed to Agar, to someone named Lemur, and someone to words of wisdom. Uh, and so there's a, there's a, um, but there is a progression in the flow. In the first um, 10 chapters or so are instructions to the young, and particularly to young men about how to live. So those, and the, these middle, and then, and then you have it the, toward the end. You have the prayers of uh, the sayings of Agur and and these words of wisdom that are attributed to someone. But right in the middle, there's just this this whole section of like every verse is a mini sermon, and uh, it's like you, how do you pull these apart? There's obviously some Hebrew parallelism, um, uh, and you see it again in tonight's text. But um, they are sayings for wisdom. They are words of wisdom. Every verse is packed with meaning. And so we, we all have some proverbs that we immediately turn over in our head. We think about them, and uh, we should think about them. And uh, someone, uh, many people have suggested, if you're not sure where to begin a Bible reading program, uh, so, uh, Proverbs is always a good place to start. There are 31 chapters corresponding to 
um, 31 days in a month. Sometimes we have 30, sometimes we have 31. So if you don't know what to read that particular day, you can always go to the Proverbs and there will be some word of wisdom and application uh, for you there. The um, emphasis of the preceding verses that we looked at last um, Sunday night was obviously about lying. And the, the, uh, that followed after thinking about the thread of, of uh, the Antichrist. And what is, what is the chief mark of an Antichrist or the Antichrist? And that chief mark is liar. And that comes from the um, arch villain of humanity, Satan, who is the father. He's called the father of lies. So, so um, from that, the shift in the language is... Um, from lying in verse 22 to prudence and um, actually it begins in verse 24 but um, but um, no no that's right um, no I did begin we did read verse 23 but it, that is the theme of, of, of righteous speech and now he, now he goes to the theme of prudence or diligence in contrast uh, to laziness. And so that's, um, and it ends with this incredible verse about the path of righteousness. And, and we know that path is fulfilled in Christ. So that's the, that's the, the uh, if you're searching for a precise outline, there it is. I've always picked verse by verse because it's difficult to do a precise outline. The first verse that I'll talk about tonight is verse 23, where it talks about a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools uh, proclaims folly. Um, what does that mean? You wouldn't, wouldn't you think it's prudent to tell everything you know about any, any subject, particularly the truth of God? I, I uh, when I was a seminary student, I sort of thought this was true. <laughs> I'll never forget um, going to visit my roommate, my former roommate who was in law school and um, Ole Miss Law School, he stayed there, to, and I went there to Jackson, Mississippi, he stayed in Oxford to go to law school, and I went to, to um, um, Jackson to go to RTS, and after a year, I thought I had uh, absorbed almost all the knowledge of possible. <laughs> there may not be anyone more arrogant than a first-year seminary student, and which I found out when I went back and went out with my friend and some other friends and we were out and my dear brother in Christ and roommate for four years at Ole Miss, Robert Grefsing, after me waxing eloquent on some very important topics, said to me, Sagan, you're not in seminary. In other words, we don't need to hear everything. <laughs> At one, 
violence, and um, and, that, and I took it to heart. Another dear brother who we still love and admire dearly, he, he uh, <laughs> I'll tell a story about Mike Biggs, and some of you know Mike. Yeah. Mike is one of the most able talkers that ever, ever uh, landed, and he has grown in grace marvelously over the years, but... <clears throat> Some of you know, I just I could listen to Mike for hours, and uh, when he would preach for us, when he was RUF, uh, and I, 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 I would I would be sorry, but that I would miss what he had to say. Then I would be equally sorry for all the pastoral counseling I had to give for the hour and a half sermon that I uh, delivered. Um, one time I was driving. Uh, across town here, and I'll never forget it. There was uh, the, the, um, the fellow named Rick Schaefer, uh, was a, uh, I think school superintendent Springdale, his last job, but uh, he he had a talk radio show, and, and uh, I would always enjoy when Mike would call in, and I would listen, and uh, one day I was driving, and uh, Mike called in, and, and Rick Schaefer said, hello, Mike, and uh, tell me what you know, but don't tell me all that you know. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, the, in both my own example, and, and uh, Mike will forgive me for using him, I hope, as an example, are two illustrations of how sometimes you don't need to say everything that you know. And, that, and it's prudent not to say everything that you know. And, and um, so that we don't turn the precious knowledge of the gospel to foolishness. Um, what reveals foolishness? It's the heart. The heart is the center of being and personality in, in, in Hebrew as well as in the New Testament word translated for heart. It, it, it's not speaking of the physical organ of the heart. It's speaking of this, what makes a person a person. And we use that word the same way. We say someone has great heart. They have great uh, ability. Uh, and and our, our heart reveals the opposite. Um, and that is foolishness. The heart of fools proclaims folly. And we are living in an era of foolishness. Then, verse 24, again, it's like a separate category here. We switch from that subject to the subject of, of diligence. And it's against laziness. Uh, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. It's interesting in, in uh, checking commentaries, old and new, almost every single one of them on this text points to um, 1 Kings chapter 11, which I find incredibly interesting. Uh, this is the end of Solomon's reign. Solomon gives us Proverbs. I, I, know, I struggle sometimes with how could this wise, wise man 
who began so well in succession to his father David, end up the way he did. And uh, uh, the commentators point to 1 Kings chapter 11 and his son Jeroboam, who began to contend, saw what, where uh, things were going with his father, that he would soon pass and begin to contend with his brother. And, and we're told emphatically that the kingdom is going to be divided because of Solomon's sin, because of his multiplying of foreign uh, marriage alliances and his multiplication of idolatrous relationships. So I find it extremely interesting that the, Holy, uh, that the uh, commentators would point to this because uh, the writer, the very writer of um, Proverbs uh, speaks of this uh, contention between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, his other son. And, and so that's the beginning of the division of uh, northern and, and uh, southern Israel. Jer but let's listen to the assessment of Jeroboam in 1 Kings 11, 28. The man, Jeroboam, was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of, jo of, of uh, Joseph. And then along comes Rehoboam, and, and Rehoboam is not as able, and he doesn't listen to counsel, and his folly uh, ends up as the instrument of God of dividing the kingdom between north and south. Again, it's consequences of sin. But this is used as an illustration of the fulfillment of this proverb. Job, Jeroboam, in his diligence, becomes, uh, is put in charge of all the forced labor. And after a brief exile, uh, he returns and he, he becomes the king of uh, northern Israel uh, becomes the king of Samaria and uh, begins this long contentious uh, relationship with his uh, uh, brother throughout the uh, the, um, the history of uh, Israel until um, they are carried into captivity one by the Assyrians two by the Babylonians and then uh, the, the south is able to return the slothful will be put to forced labor. The, the, the slothfuls, and it, the implication is the spiritual um, slothfulness. Uh, laziness is what is in view here. It means you will um, eventually self-destruct. And that is true in every uh, single instance. Verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Again, there's that word heart. And at the same time, there's the word that's translated gladness or could be translated joy. And for the uh, parallelism, you go back to verse 20, where it talks about heart and joy there. And so there's this continuing um, use of this uh, um, literary device of parallelism. 
the cure for depression and anxiety is joy. That's, that's what this verse says. Now, where does joy come from? Joy comes from a good word. And what is the only truly good word there is? It's the word of God. And that wasn't fully revealed in the Old Testament, but it's, but it's fully revealed to us. Depression is not a new, new problem, but I would say in our present culture, it is a rampant problem. There, there are so many uh, people who are dealing with this constant a spirit of anxiety and, and depression. I, I put myself in this on this category and uh, suffer at times from some seasonal depression. And I know that some of you do too because we've talked about it. And the most, probably the most helpful book I've ever read is the Bible, of course, but after that is uh, a book by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, and here I emphasize he is a medical doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who became one of the finest expositors of scripture that we've ever, ever known. Sometimes he's difficult to understand, but he's always, always seeking to make application. And he, his practice was to just go through large portions of scripture and preach them, but, but for, I think because of, of uh, his ministry and the 50s and the 60s and the post-war issues that came out of World War II, he, he saw a need to write a book of, of sermons. He put together, do a series of sermons on spiritual depression. And uh, he put those together in a book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. And I would commend it to every one of you to, if you don't, if you struggle with this or know someone who does, get this book. But at the, and, and what I, the theme of the book, I'll give you the executive summary, is verse 25. There are many reasons we become anxious. There are many reasons we become depressed. But what is the cure? The cure is joy. The joy of knowing that we are forgiven. The joy of knowing that whatever circumstances might be weighing us down, that Christ has died for our sins and, and made uh, heaven itself accessible to us through what Christ has done. Um, we shouldn't be depressed. We shouldn't stay depressed. But when it does happen, and let me just say, matter-of-factly, that anxiety and worry is a sin. It's wrong. What is the cure? The cure is the gospel. Jesus made it clear. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, the Lord Jesus says. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. This is the this is the this is the cure. Come to Jesus. You know, we use that uh, flippantly sometimes, but that really is the Come to Jesus, who died for you, who has blessed you in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he promises, this is one of those great promises of scripture, he will give you rest. He will give you peace. That is the great glory of the gospel. In verse 26, you have this contrast. Again, these proverbs are, are stand, they are standalone. You probably should just do a sermon on each one of them. One, is, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads him astray. The righteous guides his neighbor. He guides him by, by the example of his life. He guides him by the, the words of his mouth. And, is uh, is um, the, the things that he seeks to do in love for him. Um, if we commit ourselves to his way and his uh, and uh, loving our neighbor with, with the love that Christ loved us, then we will lead them to Christ as well. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. This is this is the young, the challenge of young people, the challenge of old people, is that we have all kinds of uh, people who want to traffic on our wickedness and our our selfishness and our, our desire to uh, um, to enrich ourselves apart from God, and and the Lord will have none of it. There are wicked people that are leading people astray and causing suffering in enormous ways. If, if I were to you know, tell parents or tell young people any one single thing that will help you in your life and your spiritual life is choose your friends wisely. Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I think, or 30. Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It is, this is what he is saying. Do not be led astray by the wicked. And then here's this, yet another example of parallelism. Uh, he's talked about the lazy man before, now he comes back to it. And so he ties it back together in verse 27. Whoever, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The, the Hebrew scholars wonder if this shouldn't be translated. Um, the, the slothful will not uh, catch his game uh, or, or uh, hunt his game. Um, versus he will not roast his game. But the thought is the same either way. He's too lazy to go out and get his own food. Mm. 
diligent man will get precious wealth. And what is precious wealth? True riches. True riches are found only in Christ. We 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 have um, you know it, I, I tease bankers. If you're a banker and I've teased you, I'm sorry, but I always say you I know you have my best interests in mind. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with being a banker, and uh, we could get into the whole subject of interest, but, but let's, we'll set that aside. The point, the point is, there is, there is a righteous way to gain spiritual wealth, and I think that's the main application here. True riches are the riches that are described for us in Ephesians chapter 1. Of, of God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That we have an inheritance not that's not going to be corrupted in this world. Some of you have had terrible experiences probably with inheritance uh, battles and difficulties. And, and if I were to give anybody any advice about that, it's not worth it. Put your faith, and I'm saying don't contend for what is right, don't do, and I'm not saying don't misunderstand me, but in comparison, there's nothing in this world that is worth holding on to in comparison to the riches of Christ. To diligently be about, why do I, have, I don't have to preach the Sunday night group, I mean, you're here. Hmm. You have seeking faith. You want to hear more of the Word of God and more of its application. And this is the way to get the most precious, precious wealth of all. And finally, the theme of the title of my sermon comes from the last verse. And the, and the path of righteous is life, and in its pathway there is no death. So the parallels of parallelism here is the emphasis on life. Not only is there life, there is no death. Apart from the righteousness of faith that comes only in Christ, there is only death. There is only separation from God. But the writer uh, the, who is moved by the Holy Spirit to write, and no doubt that it's Solomon here, he's, he writes what he is moved to write by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah talks about a highway of holiness in chapter 35. There's a highway of holiness. It's the king's highway that we are on. Hmm. But nowhere is it talked about more explicitly than it is by the Lord Jesus. In John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. The early church was called in Acts, the way. The way. Because of Jesus. Jesus is the way. Again, the parallel. There's, there's life, and then there is no death. It doesn't get any better than that mm. for the one who is in the path of righteousness. What Solomon saw dimly, we see clearly. 
the one who will be his descendant, the greater, uh, the greatest son of David, who's greater than David, King Jesus, gives life. Where is your life in him? Are your feet on his pathway? Mm. The pathway of righteousness and holiness. Where there is no death. I mean, every once in a while I hear that horrible, horrible rock anthem, Highway to Hell. Mm. And the guy's just screaming at the top of his lungs that he's on a highway to hell. And I think how true and how sad mm. this is that so many people are reveling in this, mm. this arrogant song mm. that still makes the playlist. How much better to not be on the highway to hell and death forever than to be on the highway or the pathway of righteousness. Mm. And that righteousness is Jesus. Mm. So we come to him from the, through the word and through the Lord's Supper, let's consider this and how it applies to our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us here. Thank you that we could open your word and have it read. We could uh, read it and apply it again. <coughs> Fill us with joy that you have taken us off the slippery path, the slippery slope to hell, and put us on the path of righteousness in Christ. Bless each one who's here, heard the word. Bless us as we prepare our hearts to receive uh, the Lord's Supper. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.